Traditional marriage is in real trouble in California. It's time for everyone to get involved. Technically, if they pass Prop 8, we are overruled. Well, how is that possible? I thought we made all the final decisions around here. A constitutional amendment puts marriage out of reach. Out of our reach? We're the California Supreme Court. Everything we've envisioned? Everything we've worked for? Gone? Gone? Pretty much. Gone. Traditional marriage would be safe again in California. One man, one woman. Forever. Yuck. Yeah. The voters. Thank you, God, for sending the voters. God, would you send the voters? Voters. The voters. God, please send the voters. Isn't there anything we can do to stop that? Our friends tried everything to keep Prop 8 off the ballot. Didn't work. They even got the Attorney General to reword it for them. No, I mean, stop that. Thank you, God. That prayer. They are praying. Well, what does prayer have to do with the election? Religion and politics don't mix, right? Separation of church and state. Didn't we ban prayer? Well, that was in schools and government buildings. Maybe we should extend it to the wilderness areas. <laughs> well, the problem is many of the voters still listen. Listen to who? To him. Yep, it's in the voters' hands now. On November 4th, voters like you can rescue marriage. If we don't act now, marriage as we know it could be gone forever. Democrats, Republicans, and Independents can all vote yes on Proposition 8. Voters can amend the state constitution to permanently protect traditional marriage in California. The people can restore what activist judges have taken away. So on November 4th, do you promise to vote yes on Proposition 8 and save marriage in California? We do! You may kiss the bride. This fall, CCN and thousands of California pastors... Youth and young adults, next, this coming Wednesday... Uh, October the 1st at 7 to 8.30 p.m. There will be a live simulcast taking place for youth and young adults. We're going to take and join 
together across the community, meeting at Calvary Chapel in their sanctuary to participate in this. And I want to let you know that if you have young people in your home or your neighborhood, offer to take them and then stay. Don't just drop them off and go home saying, well, it's for youth and young adults. You'll learn a lot if you're there. Uh, and what we need to do is, is inspire and inform our young people who are able to vote and even those who are too young to vote could benefit from being at this rally uh, where Miles McPherson will preach a message called The Fine Line. Sean McDonald will be there, son of Josh McDowell. Sean, excuse me, Sean McDowell will be there. He's the son of Josh McDowell. And most of us know him. Uh, but they're going to be actually having a panel during this uh, simulcast where the youth can uh, pull out their cell phones and text in questions to this uh, national event, and they'll answer your questions right on the on the simulcast. So it's going to be real interactive, and uh, wouldn't that be something if they answered your question? Anyway, so uh, parents go. There's plenty of room in the sanctuary there at Calvary, so it's not a problem if we stay. And if you know if our kids don't want us to sit next to them, that's cool. You know, they can hang out and have their section, and we'll hang out in the back or whatever. But uh, we had this number one here uh, this week on Thursday with the pastors and leaders from different churches that came out on Thursday night. We went through one of the simulcasts to help inform and motivate leadership towards protecting marriage in California. You know, it really is about getting out the vote and uh, showing up at the polls and putting this thing down forever. There's a lot going on. You may not be aware of all of it. Uh, don't make you aware of as much of it as we can, including the call, which will happen at Qualcomm Stadium on November the 1st. It's an entire day of fasting and prayer. Uh, as they say, it's not a festival, it's a fast. And uh, people are going to come from all over the place, all over the nation, specifically all over the state of California, to meet at Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego to fast and pray from 10 in the morning until 10 at night on that Saturday as an event driven towards repentance, asking God to forgive us, turn our hearts back to Him, and to redeem the situation that's loose in our state and country. Now, we know as goes California, so goes the nation, but there are about 27 other states that have already dealt with this issue successfully and uh, locked in this amendment that says only marriage between one man and one woman is valid in our state. And that's the Proposition 8. Only marriage between one man and one woman is valid in California. That's what we'll be voting on November the 4th, Proposition 8. So, you know, if, if you don't go to any of these things, at least promise me you'll go to the polls, you'll get registered to vote. If you're not registered to vote yet, we have voter registration cards on the table in the hallway. Grab one on the way home, fill it out, put it in the mail, you'll be done. You'll get your information in the mail. You can also, uh, at that time, I think, I'm not sure if we can on the, on the registration uh, forms, but you can apply to vote absentee on a permanent basis if you're not registered for that you can that means that every election from now until whenever uh, will be mailed to your house so that you can vote at home and uh, some people I think would be more comfortable with that uh, it's hard to get out to the polls for them they can just vote poke the holes drop it in the mail and be vote you can actually vote ahead of time you know you're going to be done voting a week or two before the polls open and uh, those things really do count when they start looking at what uh, the mail-in ballots look like. It can actually, the statements that come out on the news, you know, this many absentee ballots are in and the percentages look like this. And if something's out in front, oftentimes people will then begin to vote for the winner. You know, so we can uh, we can do a lot in voting. 
And, we, and even if we just win by 50% and your vote, right? 50% and one vote will make this thing happen. So come on Wednesday. If you can't make that one, at least pack your car full of kids and drive them there, drop them off. And then uh, on Sunday, October the 19th, a little hard to read on the bottom, uh, we'll hold that last simulcast here in the sanctuary. So will First Baptist Church and so will Calvary Chapel. And uh, we'll, so you can plan, put that in your calendar. That's a Sunday evening. And we'll get together. That's an informational evening for all the members of any congregation. You can bring your neighbors. They don't even have to be part of the church. Just get them out. Okay, Ed? Thank you. You probably want help on the male-female part, too, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. We're just having fun. Ed, is there there anything else you want to add for the youth uh, rally? So we are taking our our guys over there to Calvary Chapel at uh, 6.30? 7.00. You know, if there are kids that are are not of voting age, take them anyway. Think about it, because they're going to go home and say, Mom, Dad, listen, you got to help me here. If you don't go out and vote yes on this, by the time I'm old enough to vote, it'll be too late. Yeah. So, you know, they, they can help us spur their parents on. There are a lot of undecided people on this. Plus, if you got your voter pamphlet, what are there, 11, 12, 13 propositions this time around? You know, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody come and tell you, let me just give you a help. Uh, at least on number eight, I can help you know what to do. You're maybe going to be on your own for 1 through 11, but number 8 I can help you with. And so people do appreciate getting good information. All right? Very good. Thank you. You're on. You're our hero, too. Yes. If I say any more, I'll start blubbering. Anyway, it's so tremendous to see you here. And I hope everybody gets a chance to spill some more germs out on you. <laughs> hey, let's be careful, amen. <laughs> oh, my. Hey, uh, we need to do something this morning, First Chronicles chapter 15. This is not the message, but it's certainly a piece of it. Let's see, how does that go? Matthew, Mark, Luke, First Chronicles. There it is. There it is. First Chronicles chapter 15 says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. The ark of God had gone captive to the Philistines and then been returned to Israel on an ox cart. And... They tried to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem on that ox cart, which was not the prescription of Scripture. And in the process, Uzzah, one of the guys that was in in the journey, lost his life because the ox stumbled and the cart shook and he reached out to stabilize the Ark, which is, if you're unfamiliar with the Ark of the Covenant, maybe you didn't see Indiana Jones uh, way back when, but it's not in a box in some storage somewhere, Um, but... It represented God's presence among uh, the Israelites. It was a central 
component of worship where we focus towards God as a nation. And so, as a result of the mishap, the ark ended up at Obadiah's house, and uh, everything that Obadiah had was blessed because God's the ark was at his house for this period of time, and. David longed to have the Ark of the Covenant back restored into the city of David, into Jerusalem. And he understood that by prescription, the Levites, the, that tribe of Israel that was dedicated to God and consecrated to God as his possession of all the 12 tribes, he owned the Levites. They were the ministers, the priests. And the prescription was that they carry it on the poles and the rods uh, on their shoulders after consecrating themselves. And that was the way it was to be transported. And we find that in verse 13, it says, For... Uh, David saying, <clears throat> for because you did not do it at the, the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we didn't consult him about the proper order. And uh, so now they've got the proper order and they're bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And uh, in verse 14 it says, the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers, the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and and of his brethren, Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the son of Cushiah. In verse 19, the singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were to sound the cymbals of bronze. Verse 25, so David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. A lot of dancing, a lot of worship, a lot of prayer. A lot of sacrifice, verse 28. Then all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the horn, trumpets, with cymbals, making music, with stringed instruments and harps. Chapter 16, they brought the Ark of God, set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. Excuse me, and David... When he had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, then Jael, then uh, Shimeramoth, Jehiel, Mataniah. You say all these names well, and I'll give you the credit. Eliab, Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, jail with stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals, which is, again, a, a reflection of the first uh, chapter 15, verse 19. Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, I put at the top of my page here the worship team of David. David was a psalmist. He was a writer of music and, and a worship for God and also inventor of instruments that they began to play and, and use in the, in the worship of God beyond just the horns and the cymbals and things like that. Um, and I appreciate that in this, we've uh, used this phrase around here from time to time that Asaph was the chief musician. And you'll find psalms that say, written uh, for the chief musician. I've just flipped open to Psalm 18. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Um, 
And there are lots of titles like that. So the chief musician here in 16 verse 5 says Asaph the chief. So whenever we have a chief musician around here, I always call him Asaph. Now Ed has been our Asaph for a long time. And, uh, but today we're, he's going to lay hands on Jaden, and Jaden is going to become Asaph for us as a church. And so I want them to come, and we're going to make a transition here this morning in the same way that we did last week with the lighthouse keepers. We prayed for you and laid hands on you in impartation. I'm going to ask the elders to come as well and uh, gather around. And we want to make a transition here, an impartation of the leadership of our worship, and let Ed hand off to Jaden lay hands on, in part, will agree and minister uh, to Jaden. And a lot to, needs to happen in this moment, right? Because there needs to be extra time in your life, and none of us have any of that. Uh, it needs to be a strong focus on, and, uh, on what God's called him to do. And we're just appreciating that God, we as parents, of course, are glad they brought him back here. <laughs> and uh, But they knew that coming back, uh, he and Wendy knew that their being here was not just to be a body and a place but to be servants of the Lord. So we're going to do this. Amen? Amen. So Ed's going to lead us off. We'll just agree together and pray. If God gives you something, feel free to deliver it. And uh, we'll pray, 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 pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, Lord, we just come before you, Lord. We thank you with uh, just, uh, everything that's in our heart, Lord God. We're overwhelmed with uh, the blessings that you bestow upon us. And we thank you for the man of God that you put in this house and the talents that you poured into his life and the giftings, Lord God. I thank you that they're not being used in vain and that they can be turned around and worship you with, uh, with everything that he has, God. I just pray that this uh, this pass-off right now, Lord God, would be an increase in, of anointing in his life, Lord God, that as he leads, his people, leads your people into worship, God, and be like... Um, <clears throat> When uh, when the Levites and the, the worshippers went out in the front, Lord, into battle, and uh, they led they led the troops, God. But we also thank you that the, the victory on the way out, Lord God, is going to be even greater. God, I just pray that uh, as as He worships and He leads your congregation, Lord, that people's chains would be uh, lifted off, God, that people would be set free, God, and that's it. That none of this would be coming back to him and for his glory, but all for the glory of God. God. Let's pray that for his desire would be like we spoke of last week, Lord, to, be, um, to dwell in your house, Lord God, to be there and, and to have everything turn around and be um, a blessing to you, God, and ministering to your heart. God, I also pray for protection of his mind and the onslaught of the enemy that would come against him in this position of leadership, Lord, the, the devil would will attack even harder. Faith, um, build him up even stronger as a as a child of God yes. in your presence, God. In his family, Lord, I pray for protection around his family as well. Yes. As he spends more time in your presence, God, that there would be grace and there would be mercy there um, from the people around him to, to understand what he's doing, Lord God, and what um, be spending time in your presence, God, and building himself up in that most holy faith, God. Let's pray for your Holy Spirit to, to now uh, just. Just fill him up to overflowing, God, to be able to pour out into others, Lord God, without any without any dreams to come to him. God, we just give this man to you that we ask that you bless it and anoint him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, pour your oil over him, Lord Jesus. Your oil of joy, Father God, and that these hands will be anointed to worship you. Arrange you instruments for your glory, Father. You do all for your glory, Jesus. Yes. Father, we receive this gift with joy and thank you for putting your hand on Jaden and calling him out. Thank you for giving him a heart of obedience and love for you. Lord, we receive him as a gift to this body 
And uh, as such, Lord, we pray that you'll give us a heart to be supportive to him, be encouragement to him, uh, speak into his life and strengthen him in every regard. He and his family, Lord, let's watch over them with great joy in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Might be on a short leash here, Jaden. Speech. No, just kidding. I invite Jonathan to come up here. For those of you that don't know, by now you know now that uh, my little brother ain't stronger than me. No, I mean. Just let you know what he's going to do. That way there's no question, hey, where'd Jonathan go? And uh, we want you to know what's going on, and uh, they'll give us an opportunity to let you know, and then we're going to pray over him and send him off. Um, So if you come out and support him in that, that would be great. Thank you very much. So you a little video clip here of what's uh, beginning this week in the house. Of your life. It's going to be a worldview tour. Why did Jesus come into the world? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know? We are going to turn and gaze upon the face of God. There is no direction you can travel in which God has not spoken. Who is man? What does God say about who man is? What takes us captive? What is insanity? Up from the goo we arose. Is our culture filled with lies? This is a battle of worldviews. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? We will never be the same again. project just uh, once again if you haven't uh, uh, fixed yourself into one of our um, lighthouses or cell groups please do that this week get connected so that you can uh, walk through the process of the truth project for the next 12 weeks which we're going to be in it from now till Christmas and uh, it'll be one of the greatest Christmas presents you ever had to be getting a strong foundation in your understanding of the biblical worldview. So, you got your Bibles? You can open to Romans with me this morning, chapter 1. I just want to try and tell a short story for you today. In fact, let's go to Romans chapter 3 to begin. 
read just a couple of verses. Verse 3, For what some did not believe, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Father, I pray that you'll help me this morning to do a good job for you. God, I pray that you would anoint the efforts we make this morning and that those efforts will be, of course, enhanced by that anointing and by your spirit to do something in our hearts and lives that no man can accomplish. Father, I pray that you would elevate your word above everything and that you would manifest to us your heart and convince us of your great love, your provision, and your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul in the chapter 1 is, begins addressing his letter to the Romans, citing who he is, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated for the gospel. And as he begins to write to them, he just kind of declares who he is and why he's writing and why he has this authority, a grace and apostleship that has been given to him so that he can call people to obedience to the gospel. And he acknowledges that they in Rome are among those who also are called to Jesus. He continues by saying how much he loves them. And how much they're loved by God. In verse 8 he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What an announcement, huh? Your faith is heard about everywhere. And he commends them for that. He longs to see them. He wants to be with them. He wants to impart spiritual gifts to them. He has a passion toward them as a people. And in verse 12, he says that he wants to be with them, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I'd like to share with you my faith and have you share yours with mine. And let me just insert another uh, brief advertisement for being in a cell group, because in cell groups, that's where mutual faith is shared. That's where life can happen. That's where sharing back and forth the realities of our experience in God uh, strengthens one another and encourages one another. He, he then reminds them how many times he's planned to come and see them, and he prays along with them that there might be opportunity that God would restore him back to them in person so that they could be together. In all of that, so that he can preach the gospel. In verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it, that is in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This phrase Paul uses in the first three chapters a couple of times, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. As Paul's practice was, he would show up at a community and always go to the synagogue or to the gathering place of the Jews and begin to share the good news of the Messiah having come and preach to them the good news, the gospel. 
And you may know, and it's from your reading of the book of Acts, there were times when he got frustrated. He'd go and he'd preach the gospel and they'd reject it. And they'd refuse it. And he'd say, well, then I'm going next door. And he would go to the Greeks or the Gentiles. And he said, you know, I've, at one point, he just kind of, you know, by the 18th, 19th, 20th chapter of Acts, he's kind of shaking the dust off his feet and saying, you know, I've had it with you guys. I'm a Jew, born a Jew, got great uh, credentials in that department, better than yours probably, and I come and share you the truth and you don't listen. From now on, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles and tell them because at least they receive it. And you've probably read of his frustrations in those moments. But here he's writing to the Romans and saying, listen, I give it to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. As is a pattern. We see the same pattern in the ministry of Jesus. Even when he sent out those to minister, right? He said, go first, just go to the Jews. Go announce that I'm here. Go tell them the Messiah has come and the kingdom of God has come nigh. And then Paul begins what I believe to be a very uh, attorney-like discourse where he's pleading his case to the Romans and convincing them. And Paul was a way convincing arguer of his point and had a way of, of bringing everybody, in a sense, to their knees, which was his desire. And he starts off in verse 18 saying, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in, in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, creeping things. The wrath of God is revealed to those who know that God exists, but don't acknowledge, and begin to put other things in His place. Uh, As we'll find going through the Truth Project, there are lots of truth claims, aren't there? Lots of truth claims right now that call for our attention that man who, uh, the, the scripture says, can figure out that God exists and is born with an innate part of him saying, I've got a hole and I need to find how to fill it, and that must be Jesus. Uh, the signature of God is all around us. I had kind of a strange comparison in my mind this morning, but when you, when you go out just into nature, aren't there plenty of things that say, look at the signature of God? Hmm? I mean, Psalm... If we go back to Psalm 19, this is a, a, a great psalm on that point. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. And rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. His signature is everywhere. And uh, as I was sharing last night, I had uh, an individual in my office this week that was just wrestling with, you know, why, how, 
who's God and why is God and and I don't really think I'm going to go for science versus God. And I thought, well, that's good if you really pursue it because then you'll find him. Um, I'll encourage that. I said, but would you look over your shoulder out the window at this pine tree? Have you ever noticed just a pine needle? Uh, it may be a, a coarse illustration, I said, but when a pine needle grows out, it's like a leaf on a pine tree, right? And it's just this one little needle sticks out. But when it finally does its, gives its life and falls to the ground and you have to rake them up. Have you ever picked one up and looked at it? Sure. What does it look like now? It's broken into three pieces. You know, it's, it frays out into three. And I think, you know, uh, the egg, the, the, the white, the, the yolk, the, white, the shell, three things, one egg. Simplistic, maybe, in, in our illustration this morning, but it doesn't matter where we go, we're going to find a signature of the Trinity. And as lots of us who watched the Lou Giglio video, huh, how great is our God, we could go as far as we want into space and come all the way back into laminin inside of our body that holds us together and find the mark of the cross and the presence of God in everything. You can get it anywhere you go. And this, Paul is saying, the wrath of God is revealed against people who, knowing all these things and have the opportunity to interpret that God is here, substitute in place of him other truth claims. You know, they've set it up as idols and four-footed beasts and they worship all kinds of things. And what are some of the truth claims that you hear being screamed out in this day that we live? That's an open question. It's not rhetorical. What kinds of things are yelling for our attention that we should run off and worship? Ourselves. Yeah. Materialism. Mm-hmm. Football. Football. <laughs> Tis the season. Political process. Yeah, let's raise that up above God. Let's uh, let's put our hope in that. Um, here's one that's a little more subtle, and 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 we'll start plenty of arguments. How about green? Yeah, hug a tree, save a tree. You know, it's like at the checkout. You ever had them say this to you? They always say paper or plastic, right? And the one kid said. Kill a tree, choke a dolphin. You ever heard that? Economy. You know, there's lots of things that yell out and say, let's worship, let's go, let's focus, let's be, let's do. And uh, all truth claims that saying this is more important than anything else. Ours is more important than yours. This is more important. And it just depends what groups you belong to. Some of you here today, I could see probably belong to AARP. You probably get their emails and their magazine, the most widely read magazine around, right? And, and they're, all, they're always, you know, pumping for something out there, right? How come you're laughing about that? I thought that was funny. And, and you know what's funny is the young people are going, AARP, what is that? What does that stand for? Anyway, American Association of Retired People? Really, it's just kind of known as the old folks group. You got to be 50 to get in now, right? Anyway. <laughs> Verse 21 Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. This futility means that they became empty, confused, 
vain, perverted. They perverted God. As it says in the Old Testament, your greatest mistake was that you thought I was altogether like you, God said. You tried to make me look like you wanted to make me. We've reversed the process for God created man in his image, right? We try to create God in our image. We want God to fit into our situation. And so we lay out other truth claims. Here he's kind of addressing the Gentile approach to finding God and missing God. Verse 24 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error of their error which was due. And even as they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, These people not only do these things, do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. Scary. Scary. That was us. We substituted other things in the place of God. We became futile in our minds. We were empty and deceived, vile, and we tried to make something else of a truth claim instead of God. You know what the problem is? The problem is once you acknowledge that God is, obedience is next. And repentance. And we are just born to be born in sin, fashioned in sin, fashioned as enemies. The sin nature has come down to us and we want to rebel. And so even though we might recognize his signature, as this individual in my office this week said, I choose science instead. I will work the rest of my life to choose science to try and prove another method is okay without saying yes to God, whom I actually know exists. I thought, what a dangerous position. Not only do they do them themselves, practice it, they encourage others to do it. You know, it's one way that we try to justify our actions is if we can get other people to do it too. Amen? I, uh, I remember a story. You, you know I like Zig Ziglar. He told the story about if you ever go to the beach crab collecting, you don't have to take a lid for your bucket. Do you know why? Because as you dig the crabs up and you put them in your bucket, you can get a lot of them in there, and eventually they'll be so full that they're climbing all over each other, and one will... Try and get up the side and he'll hook the edge and he's just about to pull himself up and get out. But what happens is that the other crabs grab him by the legs and pull him back in. He says, you don't need a lid for your bucket. 
because none of the crabs will ever get out. What's the illustration for us is that when I know that God exists, but I don't want to acknowledge it or follow him or become obedient and release my life to him, then if I can get somebody else to practice what I practice along with me, I can keep pulling anybody that tries to get out back down into my bucket. And every time somebody gets out, you know, the problem is, is they announce back, there is good news, there is truth, there is life outside of your truth claim, and it's Jesus. And we rebel against that. That just goes to show you all the crabs live together. He continues, therefore you are in in chapter 2, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, you practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. And he delineates now. He's going to... Render to the eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he will reward to them indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Again, he says of the Jew first and of the Gentile. And as we read these first three chapters of Romans, part of the point here is that he starts out addressing the Gentiles and how they respond to God, that even in nature they should have recognized that God existed and began to honor him and bring him glory and bring their lives into obedience to who he was. But they didn't. And you can almost hear in the background as the Romans are hearing this read to them or they're reading this letter from Paul in different settings, that the Jews were saying, get them, God. Get those Gentiles. Yeah, they should have recognized your handiwork. They should have saw your signature. What's the matter with them? I mentioned I woke up this morning with kind of a strange parallel. You know, if you drive through L.A., is it hard to discern that there are gangs? If you were a visitor to L.A., would you figure out that there were gangs? And how would you do that? There's signatures everywhere. Right? I mean, it's on the freeway signs. It's, you know, it's everywhere. And I thought, how simple... It really is that if we can get that kind of illustration to look back and say, you know, when you look at what God has done, it's not hard to recognize his signature. So you get this Jewish element in Rome who's saying, get those Gentiles. That's right, they're, they're sinners and they deserve it. And Paul shifts in this first part of chapter 2 to say, wait a minute now, uh, are you the one that's judging? Are you doing it also? And he ends this part saying, listen, the reward of God is going to come to both sides, those who are obedient those who are disobedient, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Verse 11 says, There's no partiality with God. For as many have sinned 
without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. 17, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And here he shifts gears. He's talking, to, in a sense, to the Gentiles first. And now he's shifting to the Jews and arguing the same case. Indeed, and you know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish. A teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach that a man shouldn't steal, do you steal? (coughs) You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And then he lays this at the Jews' feet. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he actually brings that out of Isaiah. As it is written. The circumcision is profitable if you keep the law. But if you break the law, then your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And he goes on to say, and if an uncircumcised man keeps the law, even though he's not a Jew, then he presents himself as a real Jew. One who knows and obeys God, even though he's not part of the elect in this being Hebrew and being Jewish. Paul's arguing simply this way. If you're trusting in the fact that you're a Gentile and you don't have to acknowledge God because you didn't have the law, you're in trouble. And if you're a Jew and you're leaning back on the law saying we're better than them because we have the laws of God, not only that, I can actually teach people the law and you're disobeying it, then your foundation is eroded as well. Neither group has much to stand on because both are substituting a different truth claim than the one God has given them to respond to. So when we finally get down to that same verse we started with, what if uh, verse chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because of them, to them were committed the oracles of God. They got the law, they got the instruction. For what if some didn't believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not exclamation point indeed let god be true but every man a liar by the time he gets done in this chapter he summarizes for us down in verse 21 now if the righteousness of god apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference jew Gentile, green, political, material, social, none of the isms. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, Paul simply argues with the Gentiles and says, you don't really have much of a leg to stand on. And while the Jews are cheering that the Gentiles are being condemned, he turns and says to the Jews, and you don't have much of a leg to stand on either. Because even though you were given truth, you didn't obey it. And so you're no different. And there's, I'll preach it to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Give it to the Jew and the Greek. But as I come, I'll say this one thing. There's only one way to righteousness, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And any other, and I keep gesturing just like in the, the Truth Project, because I'm relating to the cosmic box. You know, that we draw this box and we say everything has to fit inside of here, and you cannot get God in your box. You cannot substitute any other truth claim for the place of Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation. And as soon as you lay that in front of some people, they want to begin to argue, don't they? Well, wait a minute. All roads lead to the same place. And I agree. You know, I agree with them immediately. All roads lead to the same place except for one. That is, all other roads lead to hell. There's only one that leads to heaven. Jesus Jesus told us, I am the way. I am the truth. Let God be true and everything else be a lie. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Come on, we've said this before. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. He can't be all three of those things. He's telling the truth because he is truth. In John chapter 3, he makes a statement that says, The testimony of God has come, and I have borne witness to it as his Son, And because I have, I am verifying in front of you that he is true. He is a lay face. He is unchanging. He is faithful. He is stable. He is continuing. He doesn't change. Other scriptures say he doesn't change. He doesn't waver. He has no shadow of turning. You imagine you and I, we stand outside and even in here, if I turn, I see my shadow cast from different lights. But God is light unapproachable light, if you will, as the scripture says. And he doesn't even cast a shadow. He is so pure and so true. He is truth. And you and I are allowed and invited through faith in Jesus Christ to live in him and allow him to live in us. And when we do that, we have to abandon all the other truth claims. We have to abandon that anything else has even approachable equality with our allegiance to God. Now that's going to cause some of us grief. Because there are some things we lean on pretty heavily. We may not acknowledge it, but there are things we trust in place of God. And when it, when it gets pulled out from under us, we're, we're in trouble. We get shaken. I'm not talking just to myself, am I? Come on. You know, if, if you got, and in, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, if you had your hope in an IRA or a KEO or some kind of a retirement plan and you watched what our economy did a week ago and is still in turmoil this weekend. 
you're saying to yourself, boy, that was a crutch and it didn't hold. And now I'm off balance because I was leaning into the wrong thing with my trust. Hey, listen, the hope isn't over. Jesus didn't quit just because the Ira might not make it. Amen? Amen. And that, that our, our, uh, our leaning is on something. But what if it's not that? What if it's you trust yourself, that you can do it all, and uh, that, that you have the ability to just be God at your house? And uh, I'm, I'm okay as long as I'm in control. And you, maybe you're a control freak. And then one day you're out of control. And your world starts shattering around you because you've laid in place of God a different truth claim that says you're able to do something more than Him. What a blessed place we come to. And I want to get there. I try to approach it all the time as much as I can and say, God, I want to come to a place where I'm yielded. I want to come to a place where I'm dependent. I come to a place where I say, it's not about me. It's all about you. And the more I can yield, the more I can surrender, the more I can let go of, of controlling everything and trying to be God myself and let you be God and draw my life from you and give you mine. Less of me, more of you. The closer I get to that, the better things go in me, in my home, even in my job. Amen? It just goes better. We like them when things go better. But the issue is obedience and yieldedness. Surrender. I surrender all. I surrender some. I surrender most. Okay. Truth. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. The next 12 weeks, I think, while this is not the only focus, this week it is veritology, the study of truth. We're going to be going over it together later this week in our cells. And I pray that we'll be transformationally challenged to understand that no matter where we come from, Jew, Gentile, background, philosophy, that we will abandon everything and let God be God. Let Him be true. Let everything else in comparison to Him stand up as a lie and be it very clear to us and give us a screen to look at life. And when people say, go green, I can say, you know what? As I think even Del Tackett said this, and I agree that Christians should probably be the best environmentalists that are alive on the planet. We should be understanding that there's that God's about redemption and good and blessing. If you look at where Christianity has gone all over the world, good things happen. Hospitals spring up. People get healing. Freedom comes to communities. Gardens are planted. Wells are dri- uh, drilled. All kinds of good things happen. Life comes because Jesus comes. Things get better. Well, Father, this morning, I pray that you will help us to simply rest in you. That we will not allow any other truth claim to be predominant in our lives. Lord, that those good things that we're involved in will remain good things, but not ultimate things. That if we're green, fine. Let's be the best green we can because we believe in you. And because truth comes from you. 
and you would tell us to be redeemers of our culture, redeemers of our environment. But, Lord, whatever that thing is, I pray that you will help us not to let it get elevated above you or that we will in some fashion, like the Gentiles mentioned here in Romans, turn it into a statuette, whether physically or mentally, and worship it in front of you to put it in place of the honor that's due you. Lord, I pray that you would begin to strip from us because we want you to, those areas where disobedience rules in our life. You will help us to surrender our hearts and lives to a point that we don't take anything back for ourselves. Lord, help us to let go of those things that have controlled us, that we've built into our lives. Lord, show us the things that we trust in other than you so that we can substantially say to them, be released, I will no longer trust that instead of God. Lead us, train us, equip us. Give us a framework that helps us to help others. Lord, give us a platform for living through wisdom and understanding so that it becomes more and more natural to us to live that way and less attached to the world and its claims. Ask it in Jesus' name, Father. And I just see that you're building a framework in us that is going to help us. We're going to be a greater blessing to our families. We'll be greater bosses and employees. We'll be super parents because of our ability to see truth squarely. Lord, I ask you and thank you for the results. And I pray that testimonies will begin almost immediately of freedom and righteousness reigning in our homes, our families, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, could I just ask the lighthouse keepers to stand and, and just let me point out to the rest of us that if you are not connected... This week, please look, go to one of these people right here that are here this morning. Don't avoid it. You know, one of the hardest things that exists for us in America is the word of community. Community is something we're dying for, and yet we're afraid of. Community is, is in the Bible. You know, God is not just one or two. He's three. Two people can have fellowship. Three people have community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's a community. And you need it. And I'm telling you, you need it. Okay? Just be plain. You need it. You need community. And God's led us to be a small church because this is one of the components that's missing in life for most people. Please connect with somebody. Um, I want to take the please out, but I'm trying to be kind. You know, I want to say, just connect. Okay? Connect. Get connected. We will help you live in community as we process not just information, but revelation and transformation over the next 12 weeks, okay? Thank you, keepers, for standing, and uh, connect with them, all right? God bless.